Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. You know, what we've been doing for men is necessarily wrong. I think it's about asking the question, what is relevant for women? What is not relevant for women? And nobody asks that question. So what are coaches doing that's not resonating with our female athletes? The work of Dr. Lynn Munro, head of Oz Cycling's Olympic Fast Track Program, first caught our attention back in December in a newspaper article in which she was quoted as saying, we're looking at building an environment that is specifically about female athletes. What does this actually mean? Lynn wants to completely rethink the way women have been trained and coached in elite sport. Mm. And as you can imagine, as the parents of two girls who love their sport, this got us really curious. While Lynn's focus is on building up Australia's female track sprint cycling ranks in the lead up to the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris, her doing things differently approach makes you wonder what's possible in all sports. In this conversation, you'll hear about the importance of trying and failing because failing is learning and what attributes Lynn's looking for in female athletes who may consider transitioning to sprint cycling. I know Tiff and I really enjoyed chatting with Lynn, and it was mostly because her enthusiasm for this subject is just infectious. Here's Lynn. It's interesting when I reflect back at school is I always had this kind of like triangle of kind of my interests, like I was in one corner of music and uh, I was a musician for a while, actually, even after school in, uh, in London. And then I had this kind of academic thing, like going to study engineering and then the sports thing. And, it, and, and almost any of them could have been where I led into my life. And I think the common theme when I've explored that later is it's it's always been about finding the best of your potential. And, and that obviously starts with me as a youngster, like you're kind of exploring that for you, but then mm-hmm. shifting into then how do you help others do that? And so it really could have gone in any way. I think the, the academia piece for me was always just about underpinning what you did with, you know, with, with a good support and knowledge. Yes. Um, yes. So it was always probably going to be more about sport or music. And like I say, I actually was in the music industry and oh. reasonably successful there for a while. Like I was a sound engineer and I had my own band. I was a singer, a musician. Um, and That's actually very the interesting cool. thing there, yeah, it, it's, it has a lot of parallels in the lifestyle in terms of, you know, you travel a lot, but also in the sense of you, you got to step on stage at some point, which is a lot about, you know, the athlete, like there is a, there's a performance element, of course. And so how do you actually can the nerves focus and get the best out of yourself in that high pressure situation? So it's actually not dissimilar. And it lets me, like, I think the two feed each other complementary because mm. you've got a quite sort of creativity that comes through the music yeah. and then you've got this kind of like the underpinning sort of science stuff in the academia and you know like as a coach now I actually blend those things a lot and and it and I, I think it adds kind of strings to my bow to be able to do Indeed. so. So Lynn where did your interest in cycling come from? So when I, when I grew up my dad was actually a, a Scottish road champion so he always had that in his blood and he was always kind of like building his own bike and, and things like that. 
by the time I was growing up, he'd, he'd moved on a lot from his competing days, but he always had that community around him. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it really started. Um, I then got into other sports as well. So I was cycling um, as I grew up and uh, then got into other sports too. And I actually moved into strength coaching, like strength and conditioning, um, because I was working in lots of different sports and kind of under, underpinning that with like just a good roots and getting the body prepared for it. And, and I actually came back to racing bikes kind of through that course of time in my life as at that point I think always like I said I I was really interested in underpinning everything with good sound knowledge and academia is I actually then started studying sports science and that was about improving what I was doing more than anything else Mm -hmm. but from that I think people started to notice that I then had a really good sense of of what to do and how to do it um, and were approaching me for support and and then that brought out me a really strong sense of yeah like I actually like the relational dynamics of that and helping people improve themselves too and so yeah that's that's kind of how I got into the coaching side of it and then it's an interesting thing when I first started working at Cycling New Zealand somebody there said to me you know the more that you work in bikes the less you ride which is really interesting it, I'm that's sure that that's true you, yeah because you just end up having less time like and I still like I still do and I, and I enjoy riding the track when I get time and uh, just not competitively and yeah you you end up but I think that's a nice growth phase for life anyways you start looking at more about how you're helping others rather than helping yourself really absolutely uh, but I'm sure that it it evokes a lot of respect from the cyclists themselves knowing that you've trodden a, a path yourself and, and you still get out there and you get out there for sure and like you know some of the athletes I'm working with at the minute which I know we'll, we'll get into later in the conversation is they're coming into the sport from other sporting backgrounds. And so there's a sense of me actually getting on the track with them right now and them and being able to sh- show that yeah. you, you know what you're doing and, and demonstrate stuff yes. is really important. And, you know, to, to be honest, like, you know, I, I didn't compete at a massively high level. Like there's other coaches out there probably, you know, the statistics are incredibly high that most high performance coaches come from the sport as in having been an athlete. And I think I'm I'm rare in saying like you know I wouldn't have considered my, myself a, an athlete as such like I was racing and riding and whatever but I came from far more of that science background but yes. the, I think that's where that like as I said earlier like that blend of yes I've been racing yes I've been training so I do have that but I also have the academic background I also have the relational and creative background as well and that's where I play to my strengths is that blend of them and not just saying well I've just come from a background where I experienced it as an athlete absolutely and it's a, as you use the word several times it's a great way to underpin the role yeah yeah and um yeah you haven't been living in a bubble either yeah yeah multiple continents multiple careers it's um it certainly augurs well for teaching anyway the multiple continents one is really interesting and again just another little bit of um, added weight to my coaching style because there is there's cultural differences of course very much but there is very much stylistic differences in the training ethos and the way that the high performance programs are run and and you can bring some of the best of that to what you're doing too um, and I know that's a big one for, you know, as a, a national team, we're looking for any advantage that we can. We're trying to beat the rest of the world. So when you're then able to bring some of that background with you and say, like, I know what the Brits are doing, I know what the mm-hmm. Kiwis are doing or whatever, you know, like there's there's lots of things that you share. And like actually within the community, we, we do share a lot of knowledge too. I think that's an interesting one is probably people is. in the environment might think, oh, yeah, it's all very secretive and protective. And to some extent it is. But I actually think that 
the biggest philosophy that's shared amongst all of us is we want to see our sports flourish mm-hmm. and we want to see our athletes flourish. And so there's a real sense of actually sharing a lot of knowledge. And I would say everybody on the world stage feel like we are part of a global community. And so it's nice to bring that flavor and have experienced that. And it's expanded my horizons. It's expanded me as a person to have experienced those different backgrounds and cultures. That's awesome, isn't it? It's certainly a a good feather in the cap for cycling too, uh, I think, as a sport, particularly if you guys are able to communicate like that and communicate openly because essentially it is, isn't it? Really what you're trying to do is put cycling on the map, correct? Yeah, look, and and I think very much so with sprint. Sprint cycling, uh, you know, I I exclusively work in sprint now and it's still kind of a niche discipline, if you like. You know, if you look on the internet and if you were to type endurance cycling you'll come up with thousands and thousands of research papers like thousands of research papers and articles and you type in sprint cycling and there's, there's just not much there and so there is a real sense of like we're kind of at that early stage of the learning curve and yeah we're evolving we're evolving much faster and I did an interview recently where somebody said you know why is it think we're achieving these phenomenal times in sprint cycling right now and I think that we're almost at that exponential growth part of the curve where the, like there's a melt pot of like new understanding and, and training yep. practices and technology and coaching practices and just really understanding what we're doing a lot more and that is being shared to a large degree around the world not always but like I say there's a sense that yeah we want to move our sport forward and it's exciting times for sprint right now your current title Lynn is head of Olympic fast track program at Oz cycling mm-hmm. um, with a particular focus on the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris Yep. If you pardon my naivety, firstly, is fast track a um, is it a pun Reference. per se, or is it are you fast tracking athletes, or yes. are you yeah. so you are, but is yeah. it also that you want to go fast on the track, or am oh, I just, am sure I just that, playing funny buggers with you? <laughs> I think that was just a nod to that, but no, it is about fast tracking the athletes. And so the long and story, so short of the story is that yeah, we had two. It's a two woman team sprint right now. Yep. Uh, post this Olympics, it is going to be three. So actually, in terms of the rules right now, it has this year gone to three, but that won't show up at the Olympics until after this kind of revised Tokyo goes ahead. Mm. So one of our two uh, Olympic contenders decided to retire and not go ahead to 2021. Okay. The remaining athlete uh, is... Uh, signaling her intentions to do so also and yet to be confirmed but but signaling her intentions and from there we only have one athlete in the national programs we have an assault squad sits underneath the olympic squad which is our academy we have one athlete there who has literally just taken up sprint last year so she had been an endurance rider and switched over so she's still exploring the sport and then further down the pathway we go out to the state institute we're still looking at very, very low numbers. And so it was almost us sitting there going like, we, we're going to be Where are we going to find these people? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, like it, we started the program in sort of June, July last year, and it was initially like, well, what are we going to do? What's the options? Like we're within an Olympic cycle of the next Olympics. Mm-hmm. So we've, all, we've obviously got to look at women who are already at exceptional right because that then means that not only like physically they're going to be well developed but also the biggest thing in terms of stepping on that world stage is the is the psychological characteristics mental resilience you know the ability to work hard take pressure and just those kind of performance processes Mm. yes so all of that is stuff that you've developed over years so almost like the smallest component in this is is the skill which Mm. is teaching somebody to ride a bike and 
like it's still not easy and there's uh, there's a lot of changes in physiology that you'll have to bring about as well but yeah the approach was and that was our kind of innovative solution is okay let's go out to other sports and initially we sort of thought well that's a hard message you're sort of going in in other sports going hey you're stealing our athletes you want to come and join some sprint do some sprint yeah (laughs) but the but actually you know we sort of we work really closely in partnership with Australian Institute of Sport in this and it's actually a really positive message because there is a big rate of attrition and you get to this point at the end of things is a very very small percentage of people that can make the Olympics and during the course of committing to that goal there's a lot of people who don't quite get there or they don't have the opportunity because the sport doesn't go there or, or whatever it is and so what we're actually saying is well let's value you let's value Here's another opportunity there's an opportunity here and and we're trying to keep that as a parallel opportunity initially. That's our commitment to those athletes is like, let's keep it in parallel. Let's make sure it works for both sports. And then we'll be honest with you and we'll make sure that as we're assessing how we're going, if we don't think you're going to make it, then we we'll, don't think we'll let you know realistically. It. Yeah. So that's kind of the process. And like you say, in terms of just coming back to the fast track title, we have to be different in how we approach this because we don't have this kind of long-term athlete development Definitely pathway. Not. We've got to do it different. We've got to seek different people. So we've got to know what we're looking for. We've got to then identify that clearly. And then we've got to use practices that are very different. So it is, and it's a really interesting blend for me of, of the science and the coaching and really pushing me to challenge myself and my thinking. And that's a lot of where we and the program have been in the last sort of six or seven months is like, so what does that look like? We, we really got to do something kind of really leading the way here, which is great. It's really exciting. Look, no doubt. I'm, I'm brought back to a moment. It's many years ago now, but I think it was about 2008 in a, a show called 60 Minutes in Australia. And they were interviewing the head of British track cycling in the lead up to the London Games. And obviously, it was still four years out at the time. And I remember the interviewer said, so what can we as Australians do in order to try and catch up to you guys? And, and they said, oh, the horse has bolted. You, you've missed it. <laughs> and that was four years out. And then I was yeah. listening to what you were saying then. And you must be working very hard on innovation and, mm. and lateral thinking, thinking differently. Yes. to, to yeah. try and put, it, put together something strong because that's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And and that is a key factor in all the leading teams is like you've said there, like that innovation goes across all aspects of things. It's not just the physical preparation or tactical preparation. It's the technology, which, you know, you can appreciate in cycling is, is a big strand as well. And yes, it is. You know, the mental work and just that whole sense of team dynamics and culture. There's a there's a big piece in this. But, you know, for me, I'm leading a program right now where there's almost a blank slate. You know, like I say, there's a few athletes kicking around, but effectively we've gone, okay, we need to fix this. Like, what, what do we do? And so there's an opportunity in the, and I think I had got to a point with my own uh, coaching career where, I, you know, I was fairly good, I think, at what I did. It was not, you never stop learning. Like, there's always more, but you sort of almost evolve yourself into your ethos and your fine-tuning and tweaking it. And those fine-tunes and tweaks are kind of, stepwise changes in what you're doing yes whereas i've come into this and just gone okay if i was throwing all of that out and doing something that's absolutely kind of purposefully designed here what would i do what would i do you know? and i um and i have a wonderful um sort of partner on the program christy taylor who's the strength and conditioning coach and program manager we work in in partnership with this and just the same 
processes. So she had reached that point in her career as well and just gone like having been in the industry a long time and worked, she's worked with a lot of sports at very high level. She's worked with our cyclists to Olympic level and was sitting there and just gone, oh, okay, hang on, what, what would I take away from this and what, what would I change? You know, and that's not like I think it's a really important one. Somebody spoke to me this morning about this in, in interviews is going, are we saying that things have been done wrong? No, not at all. That's not change is not about throwing stones at the past. It's about saying we've learned from all of that and we're continuing to learn from that. But we're looking towards the future and saying, nice. what could that look like? Like, you know, what's what's the streak of light that's coming in hmm. to the future? And can we prize that streak of light open and really gaping hole and bring the light in here? What does that look like? And it just challenges you to, like you said, think differently, think laterally, look at all of the aspects of who you are as a coach and scientist and what you understood, how you work with the athletes and just go, hmm, all right, great. Let's let's do some of this or let's explore some of that. And that's that's also a unique part of the space because in an Olympic cycle, you don't have that luxury for long anyway. You can probably in the first year do some checking in challenging. Second year, you're trying to kind of refine that. By the time you get into that last kind of final running shoot you can't really sort of chop and change things and that's a big challenge for where you know research and academia wants to come in and try and help us move things forward but it's very hard to take athletes who are on a course to the olympics and say well let's dramatically change the training program and see what we get you you know you just don't have the luxury of that big risk so we do in this program right now we also have very, very different athletes from diverse backgrounds. So it's a brilliant opportunity to say, oh, how would this look? I was just thinking, in order for that to facilitate all of this, you must be having some really transparent and sort of robust conversations with athletes and staff. Yeah, and that's the learning and, and across the world as well, which again is really nice, is like opening that doorway to to really insightful conversations. Almost giving other people permission for them to bring their thoughts to the table because, yes. again, they might be in an environment, whether they're an athlete, coach, scientist, you know, performance manager, whoever it is, is like they are kind of working their ethos in their yeah. background. What and I'm thinking? coming in and going like, yeah, like, all right, if you, were, if you were doing it a different way, what would you do? Like if you had that luxury, what would you do? What have you learned? What, what would you not do again? And opening those questions and then pulling all of that and filtering it through your own thinking processes for sure. And then bringing that back, and it's like, yeah, that's great. And, and I've, I've loved the growth attached to that for, for me personally as well. So, Lynn, would you say, would it be fair to say that one of the ways you're thinking about this differently is the way that women and men have been coached or are coached? Yeah, look, I think that's very much a part of this. Um, I'm somebody who, uh, again, you know, a term that was used to, towards me two days ago, or you're, you know, a pioneer, you're a trailblazer, because, you know, up until the last couple of months, I was the only female coach in the team. And so you're somebody who has gone through those challenging dynamics of being that sole person in the room who does think very differently and has, you know, like different ways of functioning, different language, different peer group relationships or whatever. And so I've always accepted that role it's not an easy role to accept I don't think any woman would choose to be yeah I've got to be the flag bearer here like I don't Mm. think it's a a hard story but I've accepted that through realizing that you know like I have to make a difference I want to make a difference and I think I can you know forge that path for people coming behind me to find it easier so that was something that yeah at the at the forefront of me even starting and accepting this role when I was offered it was saying, okay, I, I don't want this to be just, oh, we'll find some women and, and, and create a team for 2024. Like, that, great, that's fine. But 
the the opportunity in this is to leave a legacy longevity um, and, and it's and it's exactly that like we're you know not even in simple terms of we've got to make a difference for this pathway we've got to have flourishing numbers that, that's so it's got to be a sustainable outcome but we don't often in history get the opportunity for somebody to say let's take a jump forward let's not take a step forward let's take a jump forward what would that look like and i think that the benefit of that to the sport and to sport in general in australia is immense and it's immeasurable so it's absolutely weaving that into the program is is critical and i think again i get coming back to you know we we're saying a minute ago we're not sitting there going oh well you know what we've been doing for men is necessarily wrong i think it's about asking the question what is relevant for women what is not relevant for women and nobody asks that question you know most of the people when you see research online they go menstrual cycle that's mm-hmm. lowest hanging fruit like yes yeah. massively important health massively important it's the most important thing in any athlete's career but the biggest thing that impacts women on a day-to-day basis is environment so mm-hmm. if you go all right well let's just assume the environment's fine and the coaching and everything and the language that we use and the dynamics that we create and all of that stuff around we, we talk about performance ecology which is you know, the, 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 you've got the biological sort of person in the middle, but they have relationships and they interact. If we assume, if we just assume that all of that is just fine and all we do is then focus in on what is the difference in physiology, what is the difference in biology, should we be monitoring the, monos- the menstrual cycle better, we're missing the biggest trick of all, which is are these women actually flourishing in the place that they're operating? And and so that's the, the thing for me. And again, it's not saying that there might be similarities. Of course, there will be similarities. But if we don't ask the question, are there differences? Are there opportunities for us to do this in a way that actually allows women to flourish more, better? You know, let's ask that question. And I think the minute you draw that question into your awareness, then you start looking at an environment that actually might be female centric. Have you found anything that works so far? There are definitely some things that in terms of learning, like I speak a lot to athletes. I have conversations even with the current athletes in the pathway, other coaches, people that are coaching both men and women and we're learning. And, you know, and again, even just within Chrissy and I's uh, conversations, we challenge. And I think it would be wrong of me to say, oh, we have evidence around this because it's, yeah, yeah, you know, you need evidence-based practices. But there are definitely some commonalities in the themes that are coming out and and things like, you know, women tend to, number one, seem to want more fun. And and maybe in some shape or form, that's been a little bit frowned upon in a high-performance environment. Definitely. Um, and then the other one that comes out very strongly is women seem to question and answer the coach a lot, like they're quizzing. Now, I look at those, and again, the, the, the sort of second part of this is let's come under those observations. Why is that the case? And maybe partly it's just that's how women like to operate. But I would suggest that when you are in an environment that's not massively built for you, and potentially for women who were in a sport, and you know, we're very, very kind of late to the party here, is this is an essence of them being self-reliant more. So you're not getting the same support. Certainly some of the previous eras of female athletes are not getting the same level of coaching they're not getting the same level of funding they're not on a professional stage anyway they're not getting the same um you know kind of financial gains from things so they've had to be more self-reliant so wouldn't it be natural that you would ask more questions and and if you're if you're actually having to take far more ownership you're going to make sure that you're really well informed and maybe within that there is some sense of maybe the people around me maybe aren't understanding me that well 
So if that's the case, and I think it likely is, is like, again, wouldn't you ask more questions so that you're more empowered, you know? And then I think the fun side of things is, yeah, like I say again, maybe that's a natural dynamic, but there is a sense that when women come together, it's, again, empowering. There's a sense of shared space. There's a shared relational dynamics. The language that you see when women come together in a room that's generally been full of men is very different. You think about what happens when you go to a party, right? Women tend, and I'm saying tend, not always, women tend to hang, men tend to hang, because the conversation is different. The jokes are different. Yeah. So if there's, a, if there's an opportunity for women to do that, and that happens within sports teams or sports training environments, aren't they going to love that? Right. But then does it mean does it mean that when they go into the training and they're focused, that they're not just as focused? Right. I doubt that that's the case. I think women are just as focused and just as driven, you know, and I think, again, those are just two very current examples where you just start to just say, okay, so what does that mean? Can we actually look at an environment that harnesses some of that stuff? You know, rather than just observe it as, oh, yeah, well, women seem to be different like this. Okay, great. What do we do with that information? So part of this program for us is let's keep exploring that. Let's keep asking those questions. Let's keep bringing more to our awareness um, and not be scared to say, yeah, let's do this differently. And that could be could be lots of learning. I'm no doubt there'll be things we try and fail, but that's the beauty of learning and that's the excitement of learning. Trying and failing is learning. Yes, it is indeed. And this is a that's a good segue with the things you mentioned just there. What what kind of attributes, firstly, are you looking to instill into the environment, and what are you looking for in in female sprinters? Uh, let's start with the second question first. I think it's um, okay. It's fairly clear in terms of sprint. It's it's a strength and power sport, strength mm-hmm. power and speed. You know, and that probably is you know like talk about you know, what what are some of the barriers in terms of where we're at with low numbers in the pathway is there you know has been perceptions i think previously in history around what female you know look like in terms of strength and doing lots of work in the gym but but that's shifting and i think that again for female empowerment it's like you know women don't have to look a certain way and and some of their own expectations are actually fed by society around them there is an expectation placed on them to have to look like this and so they grow up thinking that's how they ought to be and so they then shy naturally away from it and I saw a brilliant interview recently by some of the young development sprinters in the British program and one of them said if what we can do as a young sprint team is tell other girls you don't have to care what you look like then we've had a win and I was like wow that's phenomenal so yeah it is we, we are looking for strong powerful women we're looking for people who have courage who have guts who want to take that that part of themselves and just put it out there step out like what does step out mean i think that's a really powerful term to say to a a woman like we're going to support you we're going to encourage you to do that and we're going to help you build on that that strength and power and meaning strength and power is not even just physical it's emotional it's character it's every part of who you are let's be strong and powerful women like to me i think wow that's phenomenal let's help you do that so how do you how do you how do you build that into the environment I think that's a, that's a brilliant question, and I think that comes back to how we are actually empowering them to be more of themselves. So one of the big kind of ethos in this for me is we talk about individualization, which is you know do we how much do we kind of tweak the program to cater for the individual, and to some extent like you're constrained by team dynamics. But yep. I think the biggest thing for me and as a coach is you get to know that person, find out who they are, find out how they tick, find out how they drive themselves. 
and bring that out. So, so what you're, what you're doing then as a coach is number one, increasing their awareness for who they are. So they learn as they grow to be able to articulate that better. Like if you, as a, as a, uh, an athlete, as you come from kind of younger development years through to elite can start to articulate who you are, how you operate, what you need more, you're going to be more effective even in that coach athlete relationship. So can we empower that help awaken them to that and then help reflect that back? You know, like my job as a coach is to hold that mirror up and say, Hey, you need this stuff to help you. Let's create that. So again, it's, it's a nice relational piece in there. And instead of focusing on the, yeah, the training practices that can be individualized too, but we're always focusing on like training practices, data, technology. Great. Well, fine. Yeah. That's kind of the cornerstones and the foundations, but the big, really big shifts that we can make, let's get into the relational stuff and, and tap into them and bring that forth. And imagine like, you know, I can feel it when I talk about it. I can, you I hear, I can hear it too. I'm, I'm you go, thinking they're, they're physically strong. They're delivering all these training efforts really well. They're able to turn up at competition really well. Imagine if we just get them to harness who they are more and they turn into this person who like, we want you to be all of you. We don't want to com- you to compromise who you are. Like, yeah, you've still got to be professional and you, you know, there's everybody of has course. some fine stuff, but we want you to rise. What does that look like? It looks and sounds really inspirational. And Lynn, I have John to go to and I'm filthy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick up my daughter. Take that inspiration I'm, with where you're going. And, I'm, and- I will. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick up my 14-year-old and I'll have a chat to her about sprint cycling. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your time, Lynn. I'll leave you with you. My Tiff. absolute pleasure, John. Lovely to meet you. Cheers. It's it's live and happening as yeah, we speak. It is. I Great. know. She just had a bit of a shift parenting. in her schedule. Um, so speaking of which, he, he's probably he's going to have a chat with her about sprint cycling. She's actually a swimmer and she's got a lot of those qualities that you're talking about. But yeah. as an aside, what can women expect from pursuing a career? a cycling career or a career in sprint cycling specifically? Yeah, look, I think that's also a great question. And, you know, right now, for sure, sprint cycling is one of those things where you're kind of aiming towards the Olympics and then you go, yeah, what next? Mm. But, you know, the Olympic journey is, it's a long journey. There's a lot of development that happens within that and and it's a, a big pointy goal to head towards. So I think even just saying that's the aim, that's the opportunity is a big one. Probably the difference between sprint cycling and uh, say endurance cycling is yeah there are outside opportunities in terms of you know for track uh, endurance riders they can be on the road and there's opportunities in careers and I think that's a big one for women's sport you know the the road cycling teams are starting to be more opportunities for women there Mm. um, and that sense of there being a professional career but the challenge on the road then is very very hard to achieve Olympic dream so you know and I think People tend to sit there and they probably know in their heart of hearts where their passion is. And I don't think that you kind of sit there and go, well, I want to do this because I'm going to have a professional road career. And that's, you know, maybe Mm. that plays a part in it. But I think you've got to come from a place of passion and go, what do I love doing? And if something that you love doing is is going super fast and having nothing in your way because you're on a track and you're going super fast and you want to be strong and you and you you want to maximize that sense of who you are and it's exhilarating it's absolutely exhilarating being in sprint then there's a brilliant and supported pathway for that so through the Australian system you know we've got clubs that will support um at sort of entry level 
you come up from there. We have a fantastic state institute system in Australia where if you're then showing potential, the state will help you and, you know, the scholarships, opportunities. Um, and within there, you've got all sorts of resources to help you. And then from there, you have a fully funded national program. And we, you know, it's, it's not exclusive across the world that, you know, not every country has this fully scholarship uh, program. So we have a great opportunity in Australia to say if, if you want to come into the sport, you can be supported the whole way. And yes, of course, there's a potential element in that in terms of showing you're capable. But to whatever degree that you want to achieve in this sport, you can be supported in doing so. Um, and I think like that's something that is a luxury that we can take for granted sometimes. And I, I've you know, had the privilege of moving across the world, working with different programs and, you know, even seeing other countries compete. And there's a lot of people out there who know that they're good at something, know that they're passionate at something and have little or no support. So so I think our sport and, you know, cycling is one of the most successful sports in Australia. They're, you know, and based on that, we are very well funded. And so I think it's a good sport to come into. And, and I would say, you know, we've got this amazing legacy of uh, Anamias and and those sort of people, you know, we've we've had Olympians as far back as you know, like Michelle Ferris was mm-hmm. our first medalist at Olympics, and then Anamias and Steph Morton, Carly McCullough. I mean, there's a there's a legacy of success there, and yes, we need to do better for the pathway right now. But again, that's my commitment and and our team's commitment to saying like we are here to to say we're going to build the future. And that, and again, so that's something else I think is exciting to be part of the sport with. Okay, Lynn. Well, here's the question. We've got sports uh, parents listening who have, mm-hmm. you know, children who are involved in different sports and possibly cycling as well, but um, mm-hmm. they're all, um, you know, trying their best to do what they can through the pathways mm-hmm. that they're on. Now, you did mention mm-hmm. earlier that um, there is an opportunity to sort of, I guess, transition from different mm-hmm. sports into sprint cycling. So mm-hmm. if, if our listeners have kids who are interested in taking up sprint cycling, how can they get started? I think it's, there's a couple of answers I want to give you to that. First of all, just directly answering that. There are local clubs who most of the clubs will have come and try nights. There'll be come and try nights at every track. So probably the easiest thing to do is to get in touch with your local velodrome as a start. So there's some states have indoor or outdoor velodromes. Every state right now has so um, cycling has just come under one banner called, called Oz Cycling. Mm-hmm. And Oz Cycling then has this kind of state body. So there's Oz Cycling South Australia, Oz Cycling Western Australia. So you, there's a contact point straight away. Those kind of local bodies always have entry points for your sport. So touch base with them. Mm-hmm. There'll be mm-hmm. a come and try now. And they're always supported with bikes as well. You can come on. You don't have to buy your own bike. Just have an opportunity to roll the track. And then from there, get into the club. So like I say, there's a, there's an easy sort of entry place. But the other, the sort of second answer that I want to give to that is is understanding that kid's passion and I think that's a really interesting one as a parent is you want to support them where that passion is but you know and, oh, almost do your homework a little bit and just mm-hmm. go like you know what what does this involve um, you know ethically is like you, you want to make sure that it's going to be an environment that that works for them and that means the sort of peer group dynamics and how they're going to experience the environment Definitely. um you know, if they have an aspiration, then it depends what age they are. Like, I'm very hesitant to support, like, oh, yeah, I'm heading to the Olympics very early. I think you, people have got to have fun first, like, absolutely. Yes, but if, some, but, 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 it, but if you do, if we're talking about parents who have kids kind of further down the pathway and they're starting to think more seriously, then there's an element there of just going, okay, well, so how realistic is that? You know, like, mm. let's 
what's actually again is a little bit of homework there just going like if if you can look at your kid and you just say like realistically i think you you might not be suited for that sport that's probably a big part of what we are now looking at with this model for for my program is you you're going okay when you get to the point end thing that last one percent maybe you just weren't quite built for it yep so so can you actually think about that and, and again there's an ethical question around that i'm not saying that i'm advocating for any stretch of the imagination to go well let's have a look at the kid in front and go oh you're not suited for that because it's it's about their passion first and foremost but i'm talking about this kind of later down the pathway thing you've got kids that are going i want to i want to go to the olympics like i do that's my drive my drive is mm. that then you you've got to like just let's like say just do your homework on it a little bit because it's a big investment. There's a lot of sacrifice. Mm. There's a big commitment. Um, and the people, when they come into our arena, they know that they've lived and breathed that sacrifice mm. for a long time. Mm. And so you, you want to know what you're getting into. I yeah, think. no, I, I remember just recently listening to Anamies on um, another podcast. And, you know, I was thinking about that when you were talking about going to the track. And I believe that she, um, her mum and her mum drove her and her sister to a track or velodrome about three hours away yeah. or something similar to sort of to get them started and um, and into the sport and, you know, on, on that path. And, you know, I think, you know, the sacrifices come across sports, but um, I think I agree all, all sports require sacrifices from everyone involved. Yeah, well, that's it. And it's a family thing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like one of, one of um, my uh, staff team recently said to me, we were talking about uh, a couple of the athletes that are, are looking at coming into the program and we're just saying like what a wonderful family of support around them and that is a big big factor mm-hmm. in this because you you got to be somebody who's going to be supported it's going to be hard there's going to be challenges within that and big challenges and we're talking still very young people really yeah you know even 20s like these are still growing people and they're, they're still learning they're learning who they are they're learning how they handle things and so having that support network around them, and then that support network as you guys know are also sacrificing so that's kind of where I'm going with the kind of you know do your homework think about like, what's what's it going to evolve um, but come back very strongly to that passion piece and the passion piece is driven by the kid mm. like and and try you know be yeah. honest about that as a family because there is, and I see it all the time, I see influence from parents. It's their passion. It's their drive. And maybe their eyes are just a little bit clouded, and, and, and especially at the point where a kid might have done enough. And that's mm. fine, right? It's, we're not expecting people to all go to the Olympics. So no. if somebody has actually enjoyed the sport, they've got to the end, and they're like, oh, you know, I'm kind of keen to move on to other things. But then you start to just go, oh, they're kind of the expectations being placed because the family – maybe sacrifice gotta always come back to the passion has to be right in the heart front and center in that kid and you can see it in them and it's loud and clear and then you just go great i'll I'll support you in that that's gold thank you for listening to this week's episode of sports parenthood please leave a review share with your friends or visit our website sportsparenthood.com.au to connect catch you next week